The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member at tntradio.live. James Freeman on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Hello and Happy New Year and welcome to 2024. This is the Freeman Report. And if you didn't know already, my name is James Freeman. I'm a former member of the European Parliament. And this is my weekday show where I break down the big issues of our time in our fight for freedom, liberty and justice. It is Monday, the 1st of January 2024. And welcome back to the show after a week's break. Um, a relaxing break, I hope, for many, but not for me, as I spent most of the last 10 days in bed with a fever. Um, I've got no idea what it was. I'm not taking any stupid tests, um, but it seems a lot of people across the UK have come down with something quite nasty. So in summary, I had a pretty shitty Christmas, but I'm not bitter because before um, I was floored by whatever hit me, I took possession of my first proper motorbike. And while sadly I haven't been able to ride, ride it yet properly um, because I've not been very well, it is sat there waiting for the first signs of sunshine, which looks like it might be this weekend. I've also got a bike buddy now um, who'll be joining me, um, someone who I actually came across um, via the live chat um, on TNT Radio. James the Northerner emailed me while I was going through my test to say that he lived nearby and was into bikes. So weather permitting, we'll be whizzing around the Black Mountains here in Wales this weekend. And if you've got a bike, and you live near me in Wales or on the border in England, then, and you fancy coming out, drop me an email at jamesfreeman at tntradio.live. Maybe we can get a TNT biker club going. So, according to the Gregorian calendar, which is used by most countries around the world, it is New Year's Day today. The calendar was introduced by Pope Gregory XIII in 1582, which replaced the Julian calendar, which was used by most of the Western world for more than 1,600 years prior to 1582. Now, the reason I mention this is that according to the Julian calendar, New Year's Day falls in late March to coincide with the spring equinox, which marks the start of spring when everything renews. Personally, I think it makes much more sense to celebrate the new year in the spring equinox, as here in the Northern Hemisphere, the spring equinox is traditionally celebrated as a time of rebirth, when with many different cultures celebrating spring holidays and festivals, such as Easter and Passover. But like many things associated with the so-called modern world, they take us away from our connection to nature. So, while I wish you all a happy Gregorian New Year, please note that I will save my genuine New Year's sentiment for what I believe to be the true start to the new year, which is in late March. Anyway, back to today's show, because the topic of discussion today is primary and secondary education in the UK. Is it delivering the standard of education that parents desire? And what about other influences that state schools are bringing into our children's lives, like critical race theory and gender ideology? How much of a concern is this for parents? 
And if, like many, you are concerned about poor educational standards and the teaching of destructive ideologies, what options are available to you? Now, according to a recent House of Commons report published just before Christmas, there were 86,000 children being home educated in England in 2023, which is up from 81,000 in 2022. However, the figures do vary quite a bit according to who's collating them, as there is no official mechanism, not yet anyway, for collating the data. Across the UK as a whole, various estimates put the figure between 125,000 and 180,000 out of a total of 9.1 million kids in primary and secondary education, which puts the number of children being home educated somewhere between 1.4 and 2% of all school-aged children. Now, the figures on homeschooling are only estimates, but one thing is clear. And that is that the number of parents deciding to pull their kids out of state schools is growing. And this is on the government's radar. As just a few weeks ago, the government told MPs it remains committed to creating an elective home education register after the Education Committee urged the government to create a register to start this September. However, given that this was not included in the King's speech, it is unlikely that it will happen this year, although the Education Secretary said just before Christmas that the government will legislate at a suitable opportunity, whatever that means. Now, to me, it is not surprising that the number of home-educated children is growing, given what has happened over the past three years. I've considered pulling my kids out of school many times. However, we are lucky enough to live in a nice area of the country where the schools don't suffer from some of the same problems as other parts of the UK. My kids also have lots of friends at school and would be devastated if we pulled them out. I also feel that we do a good job in teaching them not to listen to some of the nonsense being taught in schools, particularly around these non-factual ideologies that have no place being taught in UK schools. It does remain an option for me, because if we ever go back to the situation we experienced between 2020 and 2022, then I know me and my wife would reconsider all options. Masks, stupid rules like isolating kids from each other, no touching, no hugs, incessant washing of hands causing sores, and the indoctrination, teaching them to be afraid of everything. Teachers shouting at kids for breaking any of the rules, and of course, teaching them about the science of COVID and the vaccines. What a joke that was. If we ever go back to that place, then, like I said, we will revisit the question of homeschooling. Um, I've actually got two um, friends here in the Welsh Valleys who homeschooled both of their two girls um, who are both now at a local college. And they are light years ahead of the other kids their age in terms of ability and achievement. So it can work if you approach it in the right way. So. To discuss all of this, my first guest today is campaigner Catherine Watkins, who actually lives near me in South Wales in the UK. Catherine is outspoken on a number of issues close to my heart, including the damage being done to us by the pharmaceutical industry. 
However, one of the issues that Catherine talks about is what is being taught in schools and the breakdown of the family unit that goes along with that. After I've spoken with Catherine, I'll be welcoming Ladan Universal to the show. Now, Ladan founded Universal Kids Learning Garden in 2020, which provides education to kids from 6 to 16 years of age, all homeschooled kids. The school is essentially, like I said, a base for homeschooled kids, as it does not follow the curriculum set out by the UK government. So, is this a model that others can follow? And is it viable, given that the school gets no funding whatsoever from the government? These are some of the questions that I'll be asking Ladan in a moment. As I said before, if you want to get in touch, email me at jamesfreeman at tntradio.live. And hello to everybody in the live chat. If you want to join in the conversation, then get yourself over to tntradio.live and click on the chat icon. My name is James Freeman, and this is the Freeman Report for TNT Radio. Clashing on the controversies. It's a woke society, and I am fed up with it. Today's News Talk Radio. TNT. Happy Gregorian New Year, Gemma. Well, I'm like you, James. I wait till March. I, I really do. I think it makes a, a lot more sense. And uh, I was just chatting with Dean Mackin a few hours ago on uh, what is the UK TNT breakfast show. And uh, I was saying to him about, because obviously he's an Australian host, and I said, you know, harnessing the power of the equinoxes and the solstices is something that I think those in control of us know a lot about. We're taught to think of it as all bunkum and kind of hocus pocus and astrology doesn't mean anything. But if you really want to set your intentions for your new year resolutions, around the time of the spring equinox, especially the few days after the vernal equinox on the 21st, or 22nd, depending on the planetary alignments of the time, um, that's the time to really go for it. And that means your New Year's resolutions will have a lot more power. Well, cast your mind back four years ago to 2020. When did they put us in lockdown in the UK? March the 23rd, just 24 hours, 48 hours after the vernal equinox. And you say, oh, you know, people say, oh, that's just crazy conspiracy theory. Well, it happened. It happened. You know, they didn't do it before and they didn't do it weeks and weeks afterwards. They did it then. Because they knew, those controllers, if you set your intention for something in March, just after the equinox, it's got much more power of succeeding. That's your real New Year resolution, and that's what they did to us. They knew what they were doing. Same with Halloween, when Boris Johnson wheeled himself out at 8 o'clock on a Saturday night. It's never happened before or since. It was Halloween to put us back into lockdown when the veil is thin between the two worlds. Oh, don't get me started. I could do a whole show on this. It would probably annoy everybody intensely, but you know, <laughs> I really do believe there are bigger forces at work and they're used to control us without a doubt, without a doubt. So I'm waiting till March to set my intentions for the year ahead. Yeah, and this is all new to me, Gemma. Um, I've never, I mean, I've heard about this before, but I've never really kind of thought about it in depth. But I have done recently, um, and I'm all up for actually changing my own calendar. So I work with the more in line with the seasons. Um, and I do believe that I think, you know, having New Year, in March makes absolute sense to me um, because, you know, that is the time of new everything. Um, it seems ridiculous that we have, um, we squish in, um, you know, the celebrations for the the mid part of um, the winter. And then suddenly we just announced that it's new year. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm definitely in your camp now, Gemma. 
Right, now what story have you got for me today, Gemma? Sorry, go on. Well, first of all, a a quick update actually on the the, um, earthquake and subsequent tsunami activity in Japan. Um, There's not much of an update. I've covered it in the last couple of hours uh, on open line and locked and loaded. The only update to bring is that uh, now South Korea is now urging its citizens to evacuate. And there are proper tsunami warnings in the eastern part of Russia. They also have the same body of water, which is the Sea of Japan. Um, We've had waves of 1.2 meters already hitting parts of the northern provinces um, and the the country is bracing itself for waves of up to five meters that's 16 feet and also the Japanese government is set to give a press conference later on today I was wondering if that might have happened while we were on air but it hasn't happened yet so so far no loss of life in that country uh, no fatalities it's a country that's geared up for earthquakes and tsunamis its architecture is designed accordingly um, children are trained from a young age to be drilled into what happens if there's a tsunami warning so uh, everything's going as it as it is planned to in an event like this we can only hope that you know we don't don't see any loss of life. So that's just a quick update there. But the story I wanted to bring was uh, something that's going to be happening imminently this year. Um, and that's the fact that uh, passports are set to uh, disappear as Britain brings in increasingly uh, sophisticated facial recognition at airports and rail hubs across the UK. Um, and the, the theory is, according to the UK Border Control today, is that legacy passports, they're already calling them that, will be a thing of the past and phased out within two to three years uh, as they bring in plans for frictionless travel, all dressed up for our convenience. Well, we know what that means. Cast your mind back four years. Uh, It doesn't mean convenient for us. It means convenient for those at the top. So these new high-tech gates are due to be fitted at several airports later this year. They haven't set a date yet, but I I guess it will be imminent because this has been in a couple of mainstream media outlets today. Um, So advanced, they'll be allowing arrivals only in on facial recognition technology. And the Director General at the UK Border Force says that the aim is to create intelligence borders, uh, i.e. smart borders, uh, using much more facial recognition than we currently do. Um, The the aim is to bring us into other countries that are already doing this. Um, Dubai already uses very strict facial recognition for 50 nationalities entering that area, as does Australia. I wasn't aware of this, that they were using such uh, stringent facial recognition. But of course, once it happens at one country, it will be rolled out around the world and it looks like the UK is next. You know, and just when you think, maybe the last four years was a dream, you know, maybe it was all a dream. Maybe they didn't put these draconian measures on us. Maybe we weren't really heading for an Orwellian dystopian society. Maybe it was just something that was a blip and we can all go back to normal. When you read headlines like this this morning, it'll be facial recognition. Uh, you won't be able to move without somebody knowing exactly where you are. You won't be able to get into countries, basically. You won't be able to travel um, and you'll need apps and you'll need a very sophisticated smart technology as well to kind of complement this system. Border Chief is saying we will know a lot more information up front, which will give us the power to refuse entry. So people like you and me, James, the job we do, the views we express, will we be allowed to travel under this system? I very much wonder. I don't know that that this this move to facial recognition necessarily changes that, um, because, you know, it's already heavily regulated. Um, you know, your past is, um, your passports have got biometrics in them already. So I'm not sure that, um, and, you know, we're moving explicitly into a different world in terms of whether you'll be allowed to go places or not. I mean, of course, we've got the WHO working with the UN in terms of bringing in vaccine passports globally, that that is something which is coming down the road. And obviously they'll link it to this, but they could have linked that to traditional passports anyway with the biometrics that they've got. Um, 
my view on it, I guess, is as always, the technology itself isn't a problem. Um, if if anything, it means that you don't need to worry about leaving your passport at home anymore. But like always, I say that the worrying thing is when they centralize this and what they actually do with it. Um, you know, we hear that all of the um everybody with a driving license in the UK now, their photos, that database is going to be taken and used as a constant lineup um uh, by UK police. I do find that slightly worrying, particularly when, you know, we're talking about um, them using it in live situations. I mean, we saw Tommy Robinson um, before Christmas being told that he's not allowed in London. Is that going to become more common where the police will just pick you out in a crowd and say, hang on a second, we don't like you. You're not allowed here. Um, that that element of it, the centralised use of it and what they apply it and the laws that they create that's all a worry, not necessarily the technology itself. Um, but um, so, yeah, but I think this has been coming for years, Gemma. Yeah, I think you're right. But I think you've just nailed it. It's it's not the technology. It's what they're going to use it for. And will they be pointing the finger and saying, you know, we don't like you? Yes, they will. Because as you've very well illustrated with Tommy Robinson, they're already doing it. Um, and again, it's mm -hmm. the way they dress it up. Frictionless travel, really convenient. Uh, you won't need to worry about leaving your passport. You know, all that stuff. It's, oh, it's all for your convenience. Invert it. It means it's for their convenience. And it also means we're heading further and further into a smart world where everything is done on app, everything is done via facial recognition, everything is accessed via this digital technology. So yeah, I saw this headline this morning and I thought, no, the last four years weren't a dream. I didn't imagine it. This is still real and we've still got a lot of work to do. Yeah, yeah, we have. But I think, you know, the work that we've got to do is with who's in power and the policies which they come up with. Because look, I think when you know when you kind of look and you sort of look into the future maybe 50 60 years whatever can you really still see us using paper um you know paper passports and and paper driving licenses in the future you know whether even if it's 100 years whatever time period you want to put on it it just to me you know that future really is a paperless future whether that's you know like I said, the technology itself isn't necessarily a bad thing. But at the moment where we sit, unfortunately, we're worried about our governments and, you know, the totalitarian nature, the road that they're going down. But that doesn't necessarily mean the technology is bad. And like I said, you know, when you think of 50 years ahead, can you really think that we'll still be using, you know, paper money? I don't know. When you look at Star Trek or these future societies, are we really going to be using paper money and bits of paper to identify ourselves I think not. So that's where the fight I, is. It's with our politicians. I'll be using paper. I love my passport. <laughs> I love banknote. You know, you know my feelings on this. It's nice to have the choice. This is what and the choice is being taken away. That's the point I'm making with this is that we didn't ask necessarily ask for it. There will be some people that go, oh, it's absolutely bloody brilliant. You can go through the airport even quicker. But it'd be nice to have the choice. That's what I mean. It, we're not having the choice. It's being thrust upon us and with nefarious, yeah. I think, nefarious aim, aims. Yeah, no, I, I I agree with you on that. And um, to, but to be honest with you, I I couldn't give a monkey's whether I use a passport or I use um, my face ID. What I do care about is who is in control of that and what their agenda is. That's the important thing for me. Other than that, it's just technology as far as I'm concerned. Right. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> That's better. Right, Gemma. Um, happy New Year to you. Um. Thank you for your story today and look forward to um, more to come in 2024. Thanks, James. Happy New Year to you too. Welcome back. Yeah, thank you. 
Right. To the rest of you, don't go anywhere. We've got a really interesting show today. It is something very, very topical at the moment. Lots of parents are pulling their kids out of the school system and home educating them. And this is on the government's radar as well, because they are looking to introduce a leg, um, a, a, a register at some point, which will be compulsory, um, which will be in the hands of local authorities. And I guess the question is why they want to do that. Do they want to have more control and more influence? Because at the moment, if you pull your kids out, that's it. The local authority don't have any jurisdiction at all. So we'll be talking all about this issue today, which I do think is a very, very important topic at the moment for many parents. So stay tuned with me, James Freeman on TNT Radio. TNT Radio's Chris Smith. Despite being used to protect travellers from terrorists, hijackers or violent drunks or those who were drugged out as they board, and this has been going on since 1961, they won't be around this Thanksgiving. None of them. Air marshals were always meant to be invisible. Well, you can guarantee that this Thanksgiving. Ironically, the Biden administration has been hijacking air marshals for all kinds of other duties, leaving the passengers they were meant to guard and protect completely helpless. Air marshals have been lumbered with assisting the chaos on the southern border. They might be called air marshals, but an unknown number are now seconded to work on the ground. Maybe they're ground marshals now, marshalling illegal immigrants on the border and doing the job supposedly meant for the United States Customs and Border Protection. Where are they? Chris Smith on TNT Radio. When you can point me to an industry, to a platform, that reaches 250 million people a month, virtually nine out of 10 Americans. That's real, that's substantive, that's important. And that reach and that touch point and that daily reinforcement, it's an amazing place to be able to communicate messages. That's massive. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. Internet. Internet. A stream online. tntradio.live. Today's News Talk Radio. TNT. Right, this is today's News Talk, um, and the topic we're talking about today is something very, very important to a lot of parents. I've considered pulling my kids out of school um, over the past three years many times, and I know it's something that really does um, concern a lot of parents, what's going on in UK schools. So to talk about all of this and also what's gone on over the last three years in terms of UK schools, I'm delighted to welcome Catherine Watkins. Um, Hello, Catherine. How are you doing? Good morning, James. I'm doing very well, thank you. Thank you for having me on to speak about this um, important subject, shall we say. Yeah, it's very important. And we've just established, haven't we, in the break that um, you live about 15 minutes away from me here in South Wales. Yeah. (laughs) Small world. It certainly is, isn't it? Yeah, we'll have to um, catch up for a coffee at some point. Now, Catherine, um, we haven't spoken before, so I wonder if you wouldn't mind just quickly just introducing yourself, um, telling us a little bit about your background. And I believe, you know, you've obviously been doing a lot of campaigning over the past three years. So tell us a little bit about what you've been up to over the last three years. Last three years. Well, I'm I'm a home educator myself. Obviously, I've got a daughter. She's um, she's 13 now, but I home educated her when she was four. It didn't actually have anything to do with COVID. It's just that um, at that time I was in a position. I had my own business at the time, myself and my partner, my daughter's father. Um, and we thought it was a really good idea. I could see the education system was going a little bit, not nothing to do with um, the sex education at the time because I wasn't aware of it. 
but I just noticed that my daughter was actually changing and I didn't like it. You know, when I could see her, she, she was a completely different person at home, in school. She wouldn't speak to anyone. You know, I'm taught she was only four, nursery, three and four. She wouldn't speak to people and whatever. And I thought, you know, and this was a difficult decision for me because I come from a teaching family. Both of my parents are teachers. My grandfather is, is, was a teacher, my auntie's uncles. Um, so I took her out a long time ago. Having said that, in the past, I think about 2018, I came across what is now in UK schools. Um, it wasn't at the time. It may have been dripped in here and there, but it wasn't mandated like it is now. In 2018, I came across a programme called, a school programme, educational programme called the All About Me programme. Now, this um, was actually distributed to 251 schools, I believe, in, in England at the time, this um, this sex education programme for I think it was between four to six years of age. Now, when I read the content on that, it frightened me to death, James. I got to be honest. I mean, like I say, my child's not in the school system, but I just thought, hang on a minute. Where is this coming from? Where is this, in, this you know, highly inappropriate um, content coming from? So that is when I started to do a bit of research into the sex education, into where and why the sex education is actually here. And that is where I've been for the past four years. And I can tell you now, James, it is absolutely horrifying. And I know that most people don't really know. So I came across Kim Isherwood. I know you've had Kim on um, a couple of times. I yeah. think you may have had yeah. Kim on, James. I work very, very closely with Kim daily. Um, I saw a video of Kim on Facebook two and a half, three years ago, and she was speaking about the, the World Health Organization and the UN, the documents that were you know put together to, to make this new curriculum. And I thought, I need to speak to this woman. Fire in her belly, as you know, obviously, you know, she she's she's close to me anyway, um, as in South Wales. And I just thought she's doing something about it. And then I met up with Kim, and that is a, the Public Child Protection Wales was established. Um, by four or five of them, I think, and it's growing, growing and growing. Obviously, um, we took the Welsh government to court last year, James. I, I, to be honest, I don't even know how many people are even aware of that. That was the most high profile case in the UK at that time, because this obviously affects all of our children. And yet, no, hardly anyone knew. Bearing in mind where the court is in Cardiff, the BBC building in Cardiff, you can see it from where the court is and not a single BBC reporter came round and report. And even though outside the court, you know, there were a few hundred parents and, you know, obviously with us, you know, waiting for the verdict and yet not. In fact, what they did at one point is go over to the BBC building and kind of, you know, try and usher them out. In a way, we were showing the world, I guess, that the BBC are not going to report on this and they didn't. Yeah. So we'll we'll talk about um, what is going on in schools in a moment. But first of all, I'd just like to talk a little bit about your experience of homeschooling. I have actually got um, two very close friends um, here in South Wales. Um, they're actually um, land landlord and landlady of a local pub that I go to a lot. They've homeschooled their two girls. They're actually now, I think, 16 and 18. They're both in college. And... Um, They've done a fantastic job, and and actually at the college now they're light years ahead of the um the, the other girls at the, of the same age. In fact, one of them she was actually um put you know she skipped a couple of years of her course because she was just so far ahead. 
what's your experience of of homeschooling? Because it is a challenge, isn't it? It's not just um, pull them out of school and and that's it. What what's, what's been your experience? Well, mine's pretty. I totally um, what you've just said there doesn't surprise me one bit at all. Actually, James, that's the case. Um, for me, it was a little bit different because obviously, with home education, you can do it in different ways. Now, in the 1996 Education Act, you have to give your child an education, an appropriate education, um, you know, based upon their their needs and you know, age appropriate and whatever else. But it doesn't say that you have to use the curriculum now. When I took my daughter out of school nine years ago, I decided because I was learning more and more, you know, I've been a researcher for nearly for almost 15 years. So I knew a lot anyway. Um, so I decided not to use the curriculum and you don't have to. I think people are under the impression that when you take and I was as well myself, I got to be honest, before I took her out. I didn't know anyone who was homeschooled. I actually thought it was for rich children and they'd have like a, a tutor to come around and sit at the, you know, I had no idea. I didn't know anyone. So I thought, right, I'm not going, but this was my experience. And I tell you what, it was the most fascinating experience I've ever had. When I first took Grace out of school, I was worried. I'm going to say, because I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah, I got a teaching family and whatever, but I didn't know how to structure anything. I didn't know. And she wouldn't, she wouldn't, she's not the type of child and neither are a lot of them to sit down put something in front of her and say, you know, would no, she, her interest is gone. She's got no attention. So I was a little bit yeah. apprehensive. I can remember taking her out of school and I bought her, you know, she had all the tools around her. I bought her all the phonics books. So I think they're like one to level one to seven or something like that. I tried me and her father tried reading these books, with, you know, asking her to read them, even though I knew she knew them, she would just give me the wrong answer. And I was like, so anyway, I was a bit frustrated and I went to a, a Roger Stowe, it was a home education group. So other home ed mums been doing this for a lot longer than I have. So I go there and I, you know, I say, I ask for advice and these people have been doing it years, you know, and, and I explained what the situation with Grace and her reading. And um, one of the mums said, can I give you a bit of advice? I was like, yes, please, because I don't know how to do it. <laughs> she said, don't force her to do it. She said, read your stories as you would and, you know, your bedtime stories and whatever, but don't try and make her do it. She said, and you'll find in their own time, I was like, okay, we'll give this a shot because nothing seems to be working anyway. So I'm going to give this a shot. So for a few months we read it, but I think she'd just gone past, it was just after her fifth birthday. This is when everything in my thingy changed and I knew what I was doing was right. No influence from school. She wasn't in school. No influence from her grandparents, you know, trying to make her read. The only people she had there at that time reading to her was me and her father. And we just read her stories. One night she called us upstairs and she she said, Mummy, Daddy, do you want to come upstairs? So I went upstairs and she was sat in her bed and all of the phonics books that I bought her were just all sort of scattered around her. And she said, can I read you a story? And I was like, uh, I looked at her, like, yes. So bearing in mind, we intervened at all. This was just in about four months. She picked up a level four or five book. And I kid you not, she read the whole thing front to back perfectly. And I just looked at her dad. He looked at me and I thought, have we got this wrong? As a society, have we got this wrong? We don't give them a test to, to learn how to walk. We don't give them a test to learn how to walk. They do these things naturally. We've got it backwards. So my experience has been amazing and very I'm going to say it I, I it's diff, different of opinion I suppose for other home educators the best most easiest thing from my perspective that I've ever done and my daughter's bright as a button she's bright as a button you know if she wants to do her GCSEs we can that's the other thing people worry about what happens when it comes to later on and they haven't been to school yeah. and you can if you do want to if they need say 
two subjects to go into college to do a specific, you know, whatever they want to do. All they have to do is download the curriculum for what they need and then they just go and sit the exam. So the parent will pay for per exam. So they don't have to sit all of them and they can do them whenever. So if you're if they're comfortable when they're 14 doing a GCSE, then, you know, as long as you're both comfortable and feel that, you know, put them in for the exam then it's it's, it's yeah. been a, it's been a, a breeze for me james if i'm being honest yeah and this is something i hear um from other um parents that have um, homeschooled their kids as well it's what you do is you you have all of the stuff around the, the child and you wait for them to become interested in things and and also you know if you want to teach maths you don't necessarily need to have a maths lesson you teach them maths through everyday real sort of situations you know whether that's doing the accounts for the shopping the home accounts or whatever it is that they become interested in and you just essentially wait for them to become interested in something and then you you then step in as a parent and provide them all the resources they need so yeah i'm i i, I i'm quite jealous actually of other parents <laughs> that have done it i think given that our kids are now well embedded in the schooling system and also you know we've done a good job to kind of um give them all the information they need not to be indoctrinated and we've done a good job of that so i think you know where we are we won't be pulling them out but i am very jealous now catherine um this these things that are going on in school at the moment i think they're worrying parents a lot aren't they to do with sex education to do with gender ideology and also mm -hmm. you know critical race theory as well and i think it's worth pointing out at this point as well that you know the schooling system in england is different to that in wales um in wales it is run by the welsh government and we have a very different system here particularly regards to sex education tell us about some of the things that you've learned about what kids are being taught in schools in wales oh it's absolutely shocking james it really is you know they are being taught gender ideology from age three now in wales we've got no opt-out so it's mandatory in Wales from age three to 16, this new sex education, which has been adopted from America. It's not new, it's, it's quite old. It's the same one. Um, three to 16, no parental opt-out, right? Now in England, you've got the, at the moment, now the thing is what you've got to consider as well is England and Wales have the same judicial system. Now this is important because we took the government's from from the case that we did in the judicial review because that will apply to england as well but in terms of actually in the classroom at the moment but they're sneaky england can opt out of the out of the sex part so you've got sex sex and relationships right rse sex, relationships and sex education so at the moment england can opt out of the sex part but they they, they do have to do the relationships part of it but what they've done is they've embedded them both in between in in each other so even if you opted your child out of the sex part of it they teach the sex part of it in the relationships part so this is how they're managing and obviously i think you're aware that it's a whole school approach as well so it's not a standalone lesson sorry james go on. yeah no so i was gonna say and in terms of some of the things they're teaching kids aren't they they're teaching them about the fact that you can choose the gender you want to be oh yeah which is actually yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's, it's dangerous I mean, I, I, so it is it is so what they're doing is they're basically saying based on the work of the likes of you know john money who i'd have to you know that's a whole different ball game because i know where the where the education comes from right two key players in this alfred kinsey and john money alfred kinsey is the sexuality part of it john money is the gender ideology part of it now what they're actually saying to little children 
is that they're not they're born they can be born in the wrong body and that the doctor when you're born guesses your sex based on your yeah. external genitalia right now this is highly confusing and completely unnecessary for little kids because it's just false you, you know you, it's, we can bounce around this all we want about if people want to be offended by it it doesn't matter because it's a fact you cannot cheat even if you self-mutilate which is what these children are being encouraged to do by the way if you've if you've influenced a child to say they want to be the, a, um, a different gender, right, and they go through with this process, like socially transitioning, which the school doesn't doesn't have to tell the parent, by the way. So that means giving them their chosen name and perhaps a different uniform. If they carry on into this to this sort of experience, they're going to go on puberty blockers. Now, puberty blockers, uh, they're, non -rever they're, they're non-reversible. They'll tell you they're, they're reversible. They're absolutely not. They come with their own side effects cancer um arthritis not only does it stop that child um going through puberty it stops their brain development as well so and then they go on to so we're talking about encouraging children into self-mutilation if they yeah. feel like they are born in the wrong body this is dangerous it certainly is dangerous um and catherine sadly we've run out of time but listen thank you so much for joining me today and um, for the great work you're doing um, campaigning, raise, raising awareness. I've, I have actually watched quite a few interviews over Christmas, one of them actually with Richard Dawkins talking all about this. Um, you know, this isn't a fringe issue. I think many people yeah. are very concerned about what's going on in the schools. So um, thank you, Catherine. We'll have to get you back on the show again, because I know you've got lots to say about lots of things, not just what's going on in the schools. So ladies and gentlemen, definitely. And Catherine we'll meet up Watkins. for a coffee as well. Thank you so much, definitely, James. When my voice recovers. <laughs> Here's a bushfire fact. Bushfires can occur without warning. So if you're traveling during bushfire season, here are three simple steps to remember. One, check the fire danger rating before you go. The higher the fire danger rating, the more dangerous the conditions. It may be safer to replan your trip. Two, think about the area you're going to and what you would do if a fire started. How would you escape the area if you needed to? And where would you go? Check if there's a neighborhood safer place. Three, it's dangerous to drive through smoke or fire. If you can't find a way to avoid the fire, park in a cleared area, face the car towards the fire and turn the engine off. Then lie on the floor and cover yourself to protect yourself from radiant heat. Live bushfire ready. For more helpful tips, visit myfireplan.com.au today. She was reading at a second grade level in kindergarten. Pod four swimming before she was seven. Finally convinced mom to get her ears pierced in the third grade. Came in second at her fifth grade spelling bee. Drill team in the seventh. And with one stroke of the keyboard. One click of the mouse. It's gone. It's gone. a cyber tip today this is the freeman report with your host james freeman on today's news talk radio tnt it certainly is the freeman report and i am james freeman i've got a bit of a crook throat today but um i think i can soldier through um and today's the topic of today's show is all about um the state of schooling in the uk 
Um, so we've talked a little bit about that in the first half of the show. Um, and now we're going to talk about the different options available to parents if they want to pull their kids out of the schooling system. And I'm delighted to be joined by Ladan Universal. Um, hello, Ladan. Happy New Year to you. Hello, James. Happy New Year to you too. And thank you for having me here. Oh, no, you're very welcome on the show here. I think this is an incredibly important topic to a lot of parents. Um, the numbers of um, parents pulling their kids out of school is definitely growing, um, I think, in England, according to the um, House of Commons report before Christmas. It's about 6-7%, but I've got a feeling it's probably higher than that. So, Ladan, I wonder if you wouldn't mind just introducing yourself um, and telling us your journey, because you've opened a school, haven't you, for home um, schooled um, kids. So tell us, I guess, what your motivations for that were and your experience over the past three years. Yeah, absolutely. I'd be delighted to do that. Um, so basically, my background is around over 30 years in education um, as a teacher, as a head teacher, as an educational consultant. I've got a vast amount of experience working with young young people and um, throughout my working time with within the mainstream I always recognize that um, the education that's been provided for children uh, even from the age of four um, it's really only meeting 10% of the needs of the children uh, those children who very uh, who learn through auditory senses they, they accomplish uh, what they set out to accomplish. However, the other 90% um, were just following the leader and, and being sort of led to do things that they didn't want to do. Uh, I myself, one of those, you know, we sort of go through the schooling system, do GCSEs that we don't really want to do because there's no space for the subjects that we want to really enroll on. Then we end up going to college doing something that, okay, perhaps it, it fits in with the GCSEs that we've got. And then we end up get, going to university, getting the degree based on the subjects that we've already been taught, not necessarily where our passion lies. And then we end up with this middle life crisis and we think we don't like our life. We don't want to do this job. This is not what our passion is based on. And then we sort of reverse and start to re-educate um, and, and then we start life again. And I myself was one of them. That's um, fantastic. I didn't. I didn't realize um actually Ladan that you'd been a head teacher before and you'd had all that experience. So I guess my question to you then is um uh, you know having been in that system is it not flexible enough to um to sort of uh, you know to 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 set up a school within that system to um achieve the objectives that you're talking about are you saying that is that just not possible? It's not possible because of the standardization and because of the limitations that the head teachers and teachers are put under the pressures. So, for example, uh, if a teacher wants to, if, if a student asks um, a question, as much as a teacher wants to take that lead and sort of bring in the learning based on that particular question, they know that if they stray away from what that 
framework is, then Ofsted is going to come down to on, onto them. Mm-hmm. And they're like thinking, well, what am I going to cover those objectives and so on and so forth? So the teacher would say, okay, we'll come back to that. But I know from personal experiences, myself as a teacher and also working with my teachers, they, there's simply no time to do that. So that that's really the problem. But the other thing is that, um, you know, many schools so, so, such as Steiner schools, you know, they set out to bring in this um, education that brings out the freedom, that sense of freedom, that sense of empowerment for children. But because they're under the rules and regulation offset, they also have to pull in those expansions of what they what they are trying to provide. Now, what you're talking about there, Ladan, definitely resonates with me, and I should imagine that it resonates with a lot of our viewers, that that process of going to school, um, leaving school, not having a clue what you want to do, and ending up in a job which, you know, um, most of us wouldn't have chosen um, as a child in terms of what we wanted to do. I mean, I I went to to university at 28, so I was, um, uh, you know, a mature student, and most of the kids there, you know, who are in their early 20s, 2021, 20, um, they didn't even know why they were there, let alone what subject they wanted to 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 learn. So I think what you're saying there definitely resonates with me. And like I said, I think it will resonate with a lot of people who, who maybe only find out what they actually want to do with their lives later in life once they've actually kind of had experience of the system. So, Ladan, tell us about your school. Um, where is it based? Um, how how many teachers have you got? Tell us all about the school. So basically, we identified what the problem was. And, um, you know, the lockdown did us all a huge favour because it enabled us to really do what we want to do. Um, and as a result, I uh, set up Universal Kids. Universal Kids is um, based in Greater Manchester. Uh, we have a number of teachers, uh, some are qualified experienced teachers and others who teach specific areas, they are professional experts in their in, in what they are bringing into our school. Our curriculum, as you um, mentioned during the introduction, it's uh, what I call an upside down curriculum to the mainstream curriculum. It's really uh, looking at the interest of every single child and in conversation with our pupils, every term we either expand on what we taught uh, or we simply change the subjects because, you know, we want the children to take that lead on in their own learning um, and, and to recognise that their voice matters and they have this sense of choice and recognise mm. that they are free, sovereign beings and when their voice is valued their choices is valued then you start to see that light within them starting to ignite and then that beautiful unique essence just literally flourish in your last conversation with Catherine she was she was talking about you know how how um indoctrination really kills that light within the children and absolutely it is it is so vital that we enable the children to learn one at their own pace 
to what they wish to learn, not what we feel is the right thing for them to learn. And that's what's always been the problem with mainstream. You know, the education that's been provided now, it's something that was put into place 300, over 300 years ago. Yeah. So, um, um, so the type of, you know, uh, our holistic alternative curriculum um, really provides the children with all the tools they need, even from a young age, at, as, as young as six. So, um, you know, for example, when our teacher teaches philosophy, the whole school sits together and we discuss these matters because we've recognized that the children have this ability, given the opportunity, they can they can take part in various conversations and so on. Now, this sounds idealistic because really, I, you know, I don't believe in the model where we just take 30 kids, sit them all lined up in front of a teacher and then the teacher dictates. Um, so it does sound very appealing, but it, it, it's not without its challenges, is it, Ladan? Um, tell us oh, about, yes. you know, your premises and, and how do you fund the school? This must be a real challenge. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, uh, sadly, because we're still living in this material world, uh, we're still dependent on the monetary system, if you like. You know, we have to pay rent and we have to, you know, as as um, educators, as as members of the school, we've still got our own bills to pay. Um, so the first year, because to be honest with you, James, I didn't know how it was going to plan out. I didn't know how whether it was going to be on temporary basis or whether it's something that there would we would need to continue with. So the first year, myself and my entire team, we offered our services on um, um, voluntary basis. We even put petrol in our own cars and and travelled to the school because we shared this vision for a better future for the children um, and then what we started to do we recognized that obviously some of the teachers needed to go and get jobs so we were losing valuable um, members of the school um, so basically now parents make a financial contribution and we are a not-for-profit community I don't like to call it school because school is very limiting. It's a learning garden. Um, and, and uh, you know, with parents making contributions, we're able to just about survive. Uh, but it actually just sort of pays the bills and, you know, I'm able to give a little bit of expenses to our team. Uh, and, but really, um, they... Sorry, go on. Yeah, so, sorry to interrupt you, Ladan. Um, with local authority... Have you had any interactions with the local authority um, at all? Have they have they shown any interest in what you're doing? Uh, they they did initially when a couple of parents to you know they were sort of f facing some personal challenges, and they basically said that their child was attending our school. Um, so they contacted me and, and they wanted to know all the ins and outs and are we offset registered and. Uh, you know, do my my staff have got DBS and all of this nonsense that we know that, you know, those people who actually impose it are the ones who are the most corrupt. Uh, but basically, I uh, very creatively told them that we are a bridge between homeschool children and what is available in the community, which is exactly what it is. You know, the professionals within the community come and share their areas of expertise with the children. 
So as an example, we we teach children um, because this is what something that they've requested crystal therapy. Um, they, they're learning how to use the quantum field energy, the frequencies of it to bring in healing to the body, to the mind and so on. So in a way, we are training future doctors, future surgeons. So they're using natural remedies. We're teaching them herbology. We teach them that the, the nature provides all the remedies that we need and you know when they come out and how to apply it and so on and so forth yeah now you're probably aware like me that the uk government is interested in homeschooling um there is moves or there's talk from the education secretary about setting up a compulsory register which to me suggests they don't just want to count children they want to sort to get it get more involved and dictate a bit more to parents what's your feelings about all of, about the government getting more involved with homeschooling um they don't actually want to get more involved they want to control it and they want to bring children back into mainstream because as i'm sure you're aware and our audiences are aware that they wanted to stop they wanted to put in stop to um freedom of choice i.e homeschooling for parents and bringing registers is a way for them to say that what yeah. your child is taking part in is not adequate and they have to take part in the mainstream education now um uh, you know, one of the things um, we sort of um, we are facing regarding the financial uh, stability and, and I, I fully recognize that, you know, parents who come to us, uh, they want this way of education for their child, but they're not financially in a position to be able to fund it to, you know, make any contribution. So, um, you know, having done some research, I've actually seen that um, a 2002 14 uh, regulation act uh, states that the the children who ha were registered at the time they were attending mainstream as um, special needs there is some funding available for them that they can parents can apply for and then they can use it in a way that is suited for their child yeah i do think that's needed and um, um, before we, I'm going to um, give you an opportunity to plug the school in a second because we are nearly out of time. But I think it's important also to draw a distinction between those that have just dropped out of school um, and who don't do any education um, that versus um, those parents who purposely pull their kids out of school and actually want to give them an alternative education because there are a lot of kids that have just gone missing um, and it's not clear whether they're actually getting any education at all but I think there is a distinction between what you're doing and what lots of parents are doing between um, those kids. Um, Ladan, tell us um, about your school, anybody who's interested, how do they get in touch? We've got about a minute left. Okay, so we actually have an open day coming up on 16th of January. And if any of the parents who are within the Greater Manchester area would like to come and see what we're about, please contact us through our website, which is uh, Universal Kids. That's spelled uh, with double L and kids with Z, universalkids.com. Um, and then, you know, we can, we can then um, share further details with you. 
fantastic well listen Nadan, thank you so much for joining me today to talk about this i do think this is potentially the future for a lot of parents um you know and i've seen the success that it can have on kids so um you know like i said i'm quite envious actually that i haven't done this with my kids um but ladies and gentlemen ladan universal thank you very much for joining me on today's show and to the rest of you don't go anywhere stick with us here on tnt radio mm-hmm.